I speak to you in the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Some years ago, I read a study about moral reasoning and awareness that was surprising, and for me at least, it was life-changing. Basically, as I remember it, the study determined that the higher one ascends in a hierarchy, the more difficult it is to perceive one's moral failings. In fact, depending on the hierarchy, it may be that one comes to believe that one has no moral failings, or that the moral standards that apply to everyone else don't apply to you. This is true no matter what the hierarchy is, whether it's a large group or a small one. So the captain of a sports team, or the CEO of a company, or the driver of the most virtuous sort of car, or the best student in the class, might all have the same problem. You do not need to be the GOAT, the greatest of all time, to suffer from an inflated sense of your own moral goodness. You just have to feel like you're at the top of something or on top of someone else. Now, I've held the results of this study in my heart ever since I read it because, and because of it, I, I try to run a fairly regular sort of check on my own behavior to see where I've given myself a pass on behavior that might otherwise not be as ethical as I think it is, or as moral as I think it is, or where it might just be self-indulgent rationalization. And I read a study just this week that confirms some of the same things and adds a little nuance to it. It turns out that people who think they are morally superior to other people often are not but they are blind to their own behavior, and they tend to believe that they couldn't possibly misbehave and that anything that they do is for the best of everyone, including themselves. Now, I have in my own life experienced the truth of this. The most sexist person I ever worked with considered himself to be an upstanding and ardent feminist, but he regularly discriminated against the women he worked with, he used diminutive nicknames for them, he talked down to them, and when it came choice for giving um, plum assignments, he gave them to the men and not to the women. But he was quite simply blind to his behavior. He was a good feminist. He believed in the ERA, so he couldn't possibly be discriminating against the women that worked with him. Now, the studies that I both read were both oriented towards social psychology, and they offered all sorts of psychological explanations for this sort of thinking and behavior. But you know, they haven't discovered a thing that was new about human behavior. The Old and New Testaments are full of stories about exactly these issues. 
And let's face it, let's get honest with ourselves. We're in church after all. Most of us tend to think that we're a whole lot better than we really are. And in fact, that's part of what this morning's gospel reading is all about. Now, like all of Jesus' parables, this parable is ultimately about the kingdom and about those who will be citizens of the kingdom. But there's a whole layer of meaning to it before we ever get to the kingdom part. You know, the rich man in this story, the way Jesus tells it, he's really rich. I mean, he wears purple. That's like being so rich that you can afford to wear clothes that, that people immediately recognize are truly expensive without having anybody else's monogram or name on them anywhere. They're the sort of clothes that people who are in the know recognize for what they are and instantly appreciate it and know who you are because you wear them. But if you are not in the know, well, then you don't matter anyway. And he feasts sumptuously every day in a world where most people lived on the borderline of starvation, having a lot of food was the indicator of wealth. In our world where food is abundant, the rich man would be a man who could afford to be extremely picky, eating only the limited number of things that he liked. Or he'd be the one who was on a constant special diet that everybody else had to cater to. In our world, it is only the extremely poor who have no choice about the food they eat. And it is a sign of wealth to be able to be picky. The rich man also lives in a house of his own, and he can come and go as he pleases. Scripture doesn't say so, but we can imagine that even in Jesus' day, the security of wealth led people to the same sorts of attitudes that it does, that it does today. You know, the rich man, he's in control of his world. He's comfortable. He doesn't suffer from heat or from cold. He's educated. He doesn't need to worry over much about how he'll feed his children or his household. Others respect him because of his status and his name. And so far as he knows, he has need of nothing. He is, as we would say, his own man. And besides all of that, he's a descendant of Abraham. He's one of God's chosen people. How much better could it get? And outside of his door is Lazarus. This is not, by the way, the same Lazarus that is Mary and Martha's brother. But this Lazarus, he has a skin disease. We don't know what the skin disease was. In Jesus' world, any kind of skin disease like this would have been called leprosy. And it would have forced the man to live by himself. He would not have been able to share your table or your house. No one would have touched him. He would not be able to travel. He would have to live outdoors and separated from everyone. To be a leper was to be an exile in your own hometown. He was invisible and he was starving. The dogs licked him 
but no human being even noticed him enough to put the scraps from dinner out on the ground beside him. Lazarus was beyond hope. There was no comfort or control in his life. Now, the Old Testament has quite a lot to say about caring for the poor. And it, and it says a lot of it, especially in the book that was considered the instruction book for the righteous life, the book of Proverbs. Just listen to a little bit of what Proverbs has to say. He who oppresses the poor blasphemes his maker, but he who is kind to the needy glorifies him. He who has compassion on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. The kindly man will be blessed, for he gives of his sustenance to the poor. And he who gives to the poor suffers no want, but he who ignores them gets many a curse. There's more. There's much more. There are instructions in the book of Deuteronomy, which is part of the Torah that people in Jesus' day believed that Moses had written. And there is especially the prophets, Amos and Isaiah, and the writings on wisdom and the righteous life. The Old Testament is full of instructions about how we are to care for the poor. So it's not as though the responsibility to care for the poor was a secret for any Jew who had been brought up in synagogue and had been educated. But, but remember, this story doesn't tell us that the rich man was particularly evil so that we can't presume that he was particularly callous or that he was alone out of all of his village in noticing the poor man's fate. For all we know, he was good to his family. He supported his widowed mother, he paid his workers on time, and he attended synagogue every Shabbat. From what we know, there is no reason to think that he was not a good man. He probably thought that he was, which would explain why he was so shocked to find himself in torment and misery. What we can tell from the story is that he was blind to the wretched bundle of rags that huddled outside of his door. The poor man he could not see, nor did he care for. What we know from the story is he was careless. So he ends up in a place that is definitely not the kingdom of God. And he finds himself wanting to send a messenger to his five brothers so that they might reform before their lives ended up where his did. But in response, Jesus has Abraham say to him, look, they have instructions from Moses and the prophets that they choose to ignore. And if they're not going to listen to them, then they will not listen even if I send someone back from the dead. Now often in the Gospels, Jesus ends stories like this with an old Hebrew aphorism, let's see who has ears here. And I'm sure that those 
who heard him tell the story that day heard that little concluding statement, even if he hadn't said it. But I think this story illustrates why Jesus says it's harder for the rich man to get into heaven than it is for the camel to go through the eye of the needle. It is not because the rich are inherently more sinful or unethical than the poor. I've been a priest for a long time, and I've been a priest for both the rich and the poor, and I can tell you that your socioeconomic status does not confer any advanced moral standing on you. The poor are not naturally <coughs> excuse me, more moral than the rich, nor are the rich more moral than the poor. All of us have an equal opportunity to ignore God and sin, and all of us take it. The challenge inherent in being rich is that it makes it so much easier for us to ignore our imperfections and sin, especially our sins of omission, because we think we're in control and we're at the top of some hierarchy. And as the studies that I cited at the beginning of the sermon confirm, our self-deception when we think we are at the top or when we think we are morally superior knows almost no bounds. Now make no mistake about it. Sitting where we sit in this place, in this nation, on this morning in September, we are all rich, even those of us who think that we are not. For most of the world, the food, the shelter, the clothing we have on our bodies, the cars we drive, the medical care we receive are unimaginable riches. And it can lead us to think we're better than we are, that we are in control or that we should be, maybe for other people's sake. But really, maybe we don't need that much saving from Jesus. And I think Jesus tells this story to remind us to keep our ears open and our eyes open and our hearts soft and observant and our hands ever ready to lend a helping hand to others. The end of the reading from Timothy this morning, St. Paul puts it those, this way, as for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that is really life. Those who have ears to hear will act the way that St. Paul instructs. In the coming year, we're going to be working hard on the action part of our mission here at Good Shepherd. Maybe you've noticed on the posters out in the hallway, maybe you've noticed in the back of your bulletin every week, but our mission here is to build disciples 
for worship, for, for formation, for community, and for action. We call our efforts to build disciples for action kingdom work. And it includes things like our mission to Ecuador and room in the inn, shower up, and fuel bags. Now for the next year, we're going to want to build on those programs to expand the number of people participating and to find new programs that will help all of us get engaged in the work that Christ has called this church to do. Making the kingdom real for others in whatever small way we can so that they can know the love and the glory of Christ. You know, we are so tempted to live in our bubbles and to look away from the real needs of those who aren't very far away from us. I understand that. Boy, there are days when all I want to do is just relax and enjoy everything and not think about anything but the pleasure that life brings me. And it's, it's okay to do that from time to time. But it is spiritually dangerous to make that life's goal. So many things, so many exciting things have happened here at Good Shepherd in the last year and are continuing to happen. And I invite you to take this next exciting step in becoming disciples for action sent out to meet the world. After all, we do have Moses. We do have the prophets. And we do have the one who was raised from the dead, giving us instruction on how to live for the kingdom. Are we going to listen to them? Let the one who has ears hear.